0: With the reading of the word. If you have your Bible and can turn with me to Psalm chapter thirty-three, we will be reading as we continue our series on the Psalms and Proverbs. Psalm thirty-three. As always, it'll be in the monitors around if you did not bring your Bible. Psalm thirty three says, Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap, he puts the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him, for he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him and those who hope in his steadfast love that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in Him, because we trust in His holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you.
1: Thread Psalm 23 or 32 last week, and now we're in Psalm 33. So it's like, are we really going through all these Psalms? I don't think there's a number, enough Sundays in the summer for us to go through. It just so happens that we are doing, we did 32 last week, we're doing 33 this week, and we're doing 34 next week. But that is because each of them demonstrates something different about the Psalms as a whole. And if you were here last week, Pastor Kerry laid out that we are trying to get a glimpse of all that the Psalm would tell us about emotions in our heart. And we looked at uh, confession and, and then thanksgiving for what God has done in our lives last week. And so then this week, uh, we're going to look at another aspect of our hearts. And the week after, we're going to look at aspects of our hearts again. And then we're going to move uh, through some more Psalms before we get to Proverbs. So if you haven't been here or you're, you missed it or you were just confused, that's kind of where we're going through uh, this summer so that you're clued in. Everybody good? Nice. Okay. So, I would like to share with you a chapter of my life that many of you do not know about. Some of you here, grown up together, you know when so-and-so liked somebody else, you know who broke their arm, what summer, you all kind of know each other's stuff. Now, for Ellie and I, we've been here about five years, so people don't know that much about me. And one of the chapters of my life that I would uh, like to share with the hopes that others might also share somewhat embarrassing chapters of their lives is that in uh, starting in 7th grade and going through high school, I was involved in a number of musicals. If you stalk my Facebook, if you go far enough back in photos of Aaron, you will find a number of overly makeups, overly hair-gelled with a microphone pictures of me. Now, as embarrassing as that part is, I still love musicals. I could go to a show downtown or I could go to a high school performance and I just love all of it. I love the the show of it. I love the camaraderie that you see amongst the cast and and they're they're so great to me. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, I got to see Annie and Thomas in The Music Man Junior. And having been in it when I was in seventh grade, I was just like singing along and elated and Ellie had to tell me, you've got to be quiet because you're not in this show. I love them. And so for this reason, when I talk to people who hate musicals or who can't stand them, I just can't understand. In my opinion, God is just working a little bit more. You know, they started that sanctification process a little bit further back because it's, it's a musical. How can you not like it? But if you've met these poor lost souls, then you will also know that most often their frustration is that it is so ridiculously fake. Life is not like this. When does everyone, anyone in the middle of high school dance through the halls and, and declare their love for Zac Ephron or whatever, whoever it may be? Life doesn't go like this. Yet one of the most popular musical songs is Singing in the Rain, where he joyously declares after uh, meeting the love of his life in the middle of the night in a rainy street, I'm singing in the rain, I'm singing in the rain. It would be like me going across the street to Bang Bang, which Bang Bang makes it into way too many of our sermons, by the way. Bang Bang, and going there and sitting and declaring to everyone in the patio around, I'm sitting and eating my pie, I'm sitting and eating my pie, what a wonderful feeling, it's so yummy. It would be ridiculous. If if somebody sprinted onto the train platform and jumped into the doors before they closed and then burst out into song if you were on the train your immediate reaction would not be this is great your immediate reaction would be like why did this guy get in my car it's always my train car because we don't naturally burst into song it's not normal it's weird life is not a musical What should it be? Open to Psalm 33. The writer of this psalm, who we are going to refer to just as the psalmist this morning, because we don't have, like last week, it doesn't say a psalm of David. It just gives us that the psalm and it goes right into it. So the the psalmist this morning says this. If you're in Psalm 33, look at verse 1. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. In other words... Sing to God, you followers, you believers. The New International Version in the second line of this verse says, it is fitting for the upright to praise Him. We may not know who wrote this psalm, but we sure know who it was written to. Those who consider themselves righteous. Those who are upright. Those who are living a life that is a found in God. Thus, many of us here this morning should gladly place ourselves in this category. And thus, we are on the receiving end of this instruction. We are the ones that are to shout for joy in the Lord. Praise is in our DNA. It is fitting for us. It is natural for us. So, in essence, life should be a musical. If you don't believe me, look at verses 2 and 3, which conclude the introductory command of this psalm. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to Him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to Him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. These next verses affirm that it's not just to be praised in our heads, thing that, things that we think, but it's to spill out into psalm. We do it with the harp and the lyre, playing skillfully on the s- strings. One commentator uh, put this together and says it paints the picture of fairly emotional experience. And so if it were us this morning, basically it would say, Robert, sing with passion. Orlando, uh, shred that guitar. If someone was playing the piano, it would be tickle those ivories. If If Martin was here, he'd be wailing on the drums because we are supposed to let this praise well up inside of us and come out. It's supposed to spill out, bursting like a dam, no longer able to be contained. This is what the psalmist instructs in these first verses. That life should be a musical. We should be praising God. Yeah, in these introductory verses, I think of those those live CDs that artists put out. To me, it's kind of lazy. It's like you just recorded your concert and then you put it on a CD, and you get the you get the the singer and the artist um, singing loudly, and then you hear this like throng of adoring f- fans right in the background. You can just hear them it's like yeah. But sitting in your car or sitting in the living room, you don't get the same emotion. You're not moved there. You're not automatically in that mood where the CD is when it was. Similarly, we can't be forced into an artificial praise to God. We can't just automatically say, okay, we're supposed to sing and praise and shred and tickle and therefore, I'm going to go do it. We still find ourselves... Looking at that guy who got on the train car saying, why are you singing? We don't naturally want to praise. We don't sing out. And so we must ask, why would we be moved to praise? Why should we sing out loud? And so the psalmist used uh, the the rest of this psalm to answer this question. With the hope of moving us this morning into that place where we are given to praise overflowing with song. We'll be given in the rest of this psalm five different reasons centered upon who God is and what God does for why we should praise. Five different reasons that bring us to that place where we are wanting to burst into joyful shouts of praise. And we're going to look at each of the verses that correspond with each reason throughout uh, this morning. So for now, uh, look back at Psalm 33 at verses 4 and 5. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. The first reason that we find for this overflowing praise is the righteousness of God. Now, the righteousness of God is one of those topics that we throw into conversation or we pray uh, so frequently that we don't often uh, take time to think about its meaning. Righteousness in the general sense is the quality of being right or justifiable. And if we had time to unpack the whole Old Testament and New Testament, but none of you uh, signed up for that this morning. So if we had time to unpack this whole thing, we would see that um, if one is justified, they are made righteous. Which means that the idea of justice is welded together with righteousness. If someone is justified, they are made righteous. They are declared right. But of course, for us, this means that there has to be a standard against which something is declared right. If we see something that is unjust, if we think that is wrong, it is only because we know that there is something that is right. Something that is just to contrast the injustice. And if we were to look at the Old and New Testament, what we would get in this entire picture is that that which is righteous, that which is just, is God. But to move us to the point where this uh, righteousness of God is worthy of our praise, the psalmist breaks it up into four different lines. He first writes that the word of the Lord is upright. All that God says is true. It is right. If he declares it, if he whispers it, if he says it, it is true and right. None of us this morning can say that. None of us can look over the past week and say all that I've said, everything that I've said to anyone and even in uh, my own kind of mind, everything can be characterized by one word, righteousness. None of us can say that, but God can. All that he says is true. If, if uh, he says something, it is characterized by righteousness. And the righteousness of his word is then in the second line affirmed through his actions. We look at all of God's work from the first moment of creation to his orchestrating of our daily lives today. uh, Everything is faithful. All that God does echoes the truth of his words. Every action is faithful to his righteousness. We look at what he has done and though we may not understand his purpose, we can be assured that just as his word is truth, so is every action a working out of that truth. God demonstrates his righteousness in all his actions. Verse 5 affirms this and widens the picture of God's righteousness as the psalmist declares that God loves righteousness and justice. It is not a a concept that we just study or or try to understand, but it's something we see each day. As the psalmist writes in the second half of verse 5, the earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. There's nowhere we can escape from it. If it was one of those T-Mobile coverage maps, it's not like 2015, God is you know, 75% pink, and then 2016, well, all look at how much more coverage God has. He has totally saturated the world that anywhere we go is a display of His steadfast love. We see His righteousness at work in the earth. God's character. All that He is, is righteous. Whether we want to respond to it or acknowledge it or acknowledge it, it does not matter. He will always be totally righteous. It is who he is, it is what he says, it is what he does. He is righteous. And this total picture of God's righteousness in every area should move us into the desire to praise him for who he is. Amazed that we can stand underneath this righteousness, experience it in the world. This should make us burst into songs of praise. One of the ways that we most experience the steadfast love is through his creation. So the psalmist moves us from first being uh, urged to praise from his righteousness to second being told to praise him because of his creation. This is what these next four verses say. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in their storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. God is our Creator. He formed the world, He made heaven and earth. And in today's society, when we have everything at our fingertips, we can order something and it's here in a half hour from Amazon Prime. We can get in an Uber, get to the airport and be on the other side of the world in 20 hours. We forget that none of this, none of the instantaneity of our life would be possible without God's creative work. With going back to the fact that God began it all. He was a creative creator. He imagined animals. He put into uh, work the laws of physics so that we might use them to look at and experience the world around us. None of this would be possible without God as Creator. But what I love in this is what it says in the next verse. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. In the first book of the Bible in Genesis, there's the story of a man jo- named Joseph. Joseph. And Joseph is tasked with uh, taking seven years of blessing in, in the way that the harvest came in and saving uh, the Egyptian people from seven years of famine. And if you know the story, you'll know that it says there that Joseph took from the people some of the food and he put it into storehouses so that it could be used to save the people later on. God has the depths of the sea in a storehouse. And what I like that this says is God is not just a one-and-done creator. We often isolate his, create, his creation to the first two chapters of the Bible. But God is still creator. He still holds the depths of the sea in storehouses. He's not done being creator. He is always the creator. The magnitude of this reality causes the psalmist in verse 8 to take his eyes off of uh, those who would believe and those who know this and focus on the entire world. He says that all who see this should be drawn into fear. That all inhabitants of the world should stand in awe of God. If every human acknowledged uh, the creative work of God, they would stop mouths open, bodies frozen, trying to untangle these feelings of fear and awe, not knowing what to do. For no other person can say that they are creator. God stands alone in this category. He is creator and everything else is created. And if the whole world realized this, they would stop in awe and fear. But for those of us who are upright, those who are righteous and faithfully follow God, our awe should give way to praise. Our fear give way to song. Knowing that He can still gather the seeds in a heap. Knowing that He is still Creator should cause in us a new song. An outburst of praise. Life should be a musical. We should be given to praise because God is Creator. While the psalmist points out that all would find themselves in awe as God is creator, in our next reason for praising God, believers will find themselves somewhat isolated from the rest of the world. Because we next praise God because He is ruler. Look at verses 10 to 12. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever the plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. I will be the first to admit that when approaching verse 10, I came at it thinking, yeah, there's a lot of people who I hope God frustrates their plans. You look at our country right now and you're like, God, this has got to be one of those nations that you're like, you're just going to take out that council and you're going to put in your own. I know that, friends, and I think, man, his plans... Not righteous, God's going to overthrow those. But this is not what the, what the verse is saying here. The psalmist is declaring negatively what he will next say positively, that all plans that are not of God, ones that he has not ordained, will come to nothing. That even for us, if we think we're doing something right, or if we think this is the right way to go, it may not be of God. And thus will come to nothing. The dividing line is not only, he only takes out those who do not know him. It's not those who are a little more wayward and a little more uh, on that rough edges. The dividing line is if it's a plan of a person or a nation, a plan that is our own and not God's. So then why is this an encouragement to us? Why does this cause us to sing and to praise? Because God thwarts these plans so that he might enact his own. Think back to our first reason of praise. God is righteous. And if you, all that He says and does is righteous, therefore, any counsel of His heart, any plan that is going to stand forever is also righteous. The Lord is not squashing the, man, the plans of man out of spite, but out of love because He has a completely righteous plan. These are, as verse 11 says, the plans of His heart. They're an outflow of who He is, and we, as all other generations already have, we experience His righteous rule over us. Undoubtedly, this is why the psalmist wrote verse 12, affirming to uh, the original listening, listening Israelites, they should praise God for being their ruler, because they, being His chosen nation, were already being blessed. As God continues to work out the plans of His righteous heart, we are also blessed. If you're here this morning, you know that uh, God is your Lord and Savior, that you can also have the assurance and you know that your life has been blessed. It may not feel like it in the moment. You may not quite see it, but that's because it may not be your plan that you think is being blessed. It may not be uh, His plan that you think is being blessed. You may think that it is uh, something that God has ordained, but in reality, you're not seeing it because God has something else in store. But the great assurance is that He rules in His righteousness and that those who are His are blessed as a result. And in a society and culture like the one we are in now, this should be great reason to praise. To know that no matter what goes on from the highest of rulers in our nation to our next door neighbors, that at the end of the day, they are not the ones in charge. That their plans will one day be thwarted because God has a completely righteous plan for all generations. And this should cause us to burst into praise, to sing a new song to Him as our ruler. We can praise Him for being the righteous ruler. Knowing that in the long term that He is in charge, but we can also praise knowing that He is involved in our everyday lives. So read with me verses 13 through 15. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the heart of them all and observes all their deeds. Last weekend, my parents were in town, and uh, we found ourselves in our apartment flipping through the few channels that we get. And amazingly, on TV were the gymnastic Olympic trials. My mom loves gymnastics, so we kept it on for the sake of her. But I have to admit, I find what these gymnasts can do, these athletes can do, incredible because we were watching this like, seemingly 10 year old girl flip her way on this balance beam, and she was doing incredible things. But as I was watching, I couldn't help but notice something. In this arena of thousands of people watching, friends watching, family watching, out of all these people with their eyes on this girl, only two were watching as intently, or more intently than anyone else. These two were so zoned in on this girl that it made everyone else look like they were sleeping in comparison. You could have probably danced in front of these people and they were zoned in on her. Because these two women were the judges. They were sitting at a table just off of the mat, giving this athlete a score and taking notes on everything that she did. They were focused on watching her more than anyone else because these two women had the power to affect the next three months of her life. life, Whether she would go to the Olympics or not. And when we read verses 13, 14, and 15, the psalmist makes clear this is how God is watching us. He is intently looking down on us, observing all that we, we do, viewing our everyday because He has a say in what happens. He is our creator and ruler, but he has not just left us to run about our lives. He's not a far off observer in the the very top of the stadium eating his popcorn and saying, oh, well, they messed that week up. Oh, man, they they sinned again. I guess, you know, I'm just going to have to watch and switch to this other seat so I can get a better view of them. No, these verses indicate through his through saying observing and watching and seeing that he has a constant care for us as mankind. He is intimately watching us, seeing what we do, because he has a say in what continues to happen. And he watches ready. And this becomes the basis for the fourth reason to praise, because his goal in watching us and observing all our deeds is to be our deliverer. Look at what verses 15 through 19 say. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. The Lord watches us because he is the only one who can protect us. In the time the psalmist would have been uh, calling the Israelites to praise, the kings of their day would have uh, casually bragged on the size of their army to just dissuade other nations from attacking them. This is how big my army is. You don't want to attack. In the pure physicality of war at that time, the the determining factor was the strength of a warrior. That was the bragging point. But more than anything, what could change the outcome of a battle was the presence of war horses. The army who had horses had more speed, agility, and strength than their opponent. Yet it is here that the psalmist proclaims a false hope for salvation communicating that, too, the size of the army and the strength of the warrior are also to be seen as false hopes for salvation. We are not a warrior-dependent nation, but we might find the desire to trust in common things as as protection present in our own society, to depend on that which our culture tells us to depend on. But if we attempt to find salvation in these things, in what our culture promotes, we will not be rescued. And this is why we praise our great God. For while there are many false deliverers in this world, there is one true protector and deliverer. God is watching us and observing all that we do, not that He might judge and punish, so that He might come in and rescue and save those who fear Him. His presence among people who fear Him comes with a promise that an army cannot keep, that a warrior cannot guarantee, that a horse cannot assure. The promise that He will deliver. And through this contrast, the psalmist lifts up God's promise as the only true solution. In the midst of their battle at that time, in the midst of war, God was the only one who could save them from death. When food was scarce, there's only one on whom they could fix their eyes to, to be saved from starvation. God alone deserves the praise for his promise to save his people. He deserves a new song for his continual deliverance of his people. And we this morning find ourselves not as a nation like Israel, but we should not allow this to diminish our need to praise God for his promise to deliver. We praise him because moving up the corporate ladder will never satisfy this fear to uh, not be able to provide for family. The highest amount of education will never deliver from feelings of inadequacy. A relationship or a marriage with a man or a woman will never satisfy and never deliver from feelings of loneliness. No toy, no uh, game, no new car, no new house will ever deliver happiness. Only God can deliver as we look to Him to sustain our family, to give us purpose wherever He has placed us in a job, to rescue from feelings of emptiness and loneliness to find true happiness as you go about in whatever you have. He is our Deliverer. And for that reason, He deserves our praise. When we are looking to Him with the assurance that He will protect and keep us, just as He did the Israelites, we should find ourselves bursting into song, looking at His greatness, His willingness to constantly deliver us. We sing because He is our Deliverer. We sing praise because uh, He is righteous. He is a God of righteousness. We sing because He is and always will be Creator. We sing for He uh, rules righteously over us. We sing because of His present deliverance. The psalmist closes reminding us that we praise not just for what He has done, but for what He will do. For lastly, we see that God is our hope, and we praise Him because He is our hope. Let's read the final three verses of our passage. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our hearts are glad in Him because we trust in His holy name. Let Your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in You. In this final reason to praise, we move from looking at what God has done to what He will do. Since he created the world, he has demonstrated why he is worthy of praise. He has been righteous in all that he has done. He has ruled the world and holds back the depths of the sea. He has thwarted the plans of man and he has been a deliverer in the midst of struggle. And while these are alone reasons to praise, they also instill in our hearts reason to hope for the future. Our souls are conditioned by the faithfulness of God in all of history to now wait upon Him. We hope in Him, knowing that He presently and going forward is our help and our shield. We praise Him because we know that we are inadequate. By ourselves, we cannot go forward in this life on our own. And so He helps us and we hope in Him. Our hearts are filled with gladness moving forward because these things mean that we completely trust in Him. We know that He will never fail to watch us, to keep us, to be with us, to be present amongst us. We know that He will continue to show us His righteousness. We praise God because He is our hope. In this final verse, we find the, the one request, the only request in this whole psalm that the psalmist makes of God. The only thing that he addresses to God, he says in this last verse, Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Keep demonstrating your love for us, O oh God. Keep giving us reason to praise you. The psalmist doesn't need to state it because we know that God will always be our hope. He will always be steadfast in his love for us. But in essence, the psalmist is saying, God, we praise you. This is why we praise you, but keep giving us more reasons to praise you. Let us keep hoping in you as we go forward. Give us further reason to burst into songs of praise. We are to be a righteous and upright people who make music with the harp and lyre, who uh, tickle the ivories, who uh, shred on the guitar, who make sounds and shouts of music and praise to God when we see His ruling at work in in our own lives, when we see His righteousness, when we experience His creation, when we feel His deliverance, and when we see His hope going forward, all that we would be moved to sing and to dance and to praise our God. Life for us as believers, in one sense, should be a musical. And as I think of this this morning, I don't want us to go away just singing these last two songs a little louder. I don't want that to be our, our closing thought. I want this to be a, uh, something that we walk away with in two specific ways to put this into practice. So there are two tangible things, and this is the first. I believe that we're called to specifically praise God. Now, it would be easy to claim, yeah, I, I, I sing in church and I listen to Caleb love or Moody Radio... But I think that this this psalm is calling for more intentional, specific praise. And the greatness of God, His righteousness, creation, rule, deliverance, and hope deserve intentional praise. So I think that we as a church should do better at praising our God intentionally, knowing and loving and serving Him, and making outward praise. Praise is the audible, outward expression of joy. And that is what our God deserves for us to outwardly express and proclaim that we find and we see His goodness and righteousness. So go out this week and find a couple of songs. Put it on your Apple Music or your Spotify playlist. And joyously declare them when you're by yourself. Take your whole car ride to work and and get that playlist ready and just take that time to declare the goodness of God. Find times to specifically, intentionally express your joy. Secondly, specifically praise God. The first was specifically praise God. This is specifically praise God. Because when we hear a command to praise, it can easily get swept away in praise for all that he has given us. To switch the attention off of God and put it on ourselves to say, God, thank you for what you've done for me. Thank you for how you were sustaining me. But I think we need to pause as much as that stuff is good. We need to take our eyes off of ourselves and what God is doing for us and put it on him sometimes. To glorify him to praise Him for who He is. That He is righteous. That He is Creator. That He rules over us. That He is our Deliverer and that He is our hope. Regardless of what we do, He is still all these things and there is so much more that we have not covered this morning. So spend time specifically praising God. Declare to Him who He is and what He has done. Take our attention off of ourselves and put it on Him. Audibly declare, outwardly praise who He is. And so, as we close this morning, as the band starts coming up and our prayer counselors uh, come here to the front, I ask that we would close this service together lifting our voices in praise. Specifically, choosing to do what we have been made partially to do. That it is in our DNA. To praise God. If you need to pray, if you have a prayer request and you want prayer for something, please do come up and pray with one of these people. But if you don't, I ask that this would not be a time when we gather up our things. When we get ready to go downstairs, when we uh, start excitedly thinking about the bread and the coffee downstairs. Let's let this time be a closing time when we lift up our voices passionately declaring, letting it well up inside, knowing what God has done as we praise Him. Let's declare outwardly expressions of joy for who God is and all that He has done. Let's stand and sing together.